Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Good morning. How's you guys doing? Wasn't that great worship? Awesome time of worship this morning. And, uh, you know, if you're, if, if you're new here, man, we are so glad you're here. We want to give a big shout out. We have a campus in Pendleton. How are you guys doing in P-Town? Can we say hello to them this morning? All right. A lot of great things happening around here. We are, uh, last week, Pastor Kevin did a message. Uh, uh, I'll get into the series in just a second, but we talked about compromise, and this is almost like a, a part two, if you will, about compromise. The best story that I know about compromise is a story about the bear hunter who was about to shoot a bear when all of a sudden the bear stopped and turned around and said in a very soothing, soft voice, time out, hang on a second, isn't it better to talk than to shoot? And the hunter was like, what? And the bear's like, yeah, wouldn't it be better to just sit down and discuss this and maybe make some sort of compromise? What is it that you want? And the hunter said, well, I just want a fur coat. And the bear said, well, that's good. I think we can work something out because... All I want is a full stomach. Um, Why don't we sit down and negotiate something? And so they sat down, and after a while, the bear got up alone, and the negotiations had been successful because the bear had his full stomach and the hunter had his fur coat. (laughs) Some of you are going to catch that a little later, but the point of this is... The point of this is that compromise, a lot of times I think uh, when we we think compromise, we think of the good kind of compromise because there is a good compromise. It's like when two businesses are trying to put together a deal and they can't really come to a meeting of the minds and so they make a little compromise here, a little compromise there and they meet in the middle and everybody's happy and it's a win-win and it's it's all good and it's it's a great deal. Or maybe you make some compromises in your marriage with your spouse she wants something, he wants something, and, and, and you figure out how to work it out where you make some sort of compromises, and, and at the end of the day, it's a win-win. Everybody's happy, and, and you work through it. And so there are those good compromises, but that's not what we're talking about. It's not what we talked about last week. That's not what we're talking about this week. We're talking about the other kind of compromise, the type of compromise that we make when we compromise our value system, there's something we believe, and if you're a follower of Jesus, when we would, it'd be at the compromise of what we know to be truth, and we do the opposite. That's the kind of compromise. It's not a good compromise. We are in a series called Seven Letters, and this series is in the book of Revelation, where Jesus gives uh, John these seven letters to write, the seven churches, and, he, and, he, and there's, just, there's some good things, usually, in most of the churches, and there are a couple things that they need improvement on, and And uh, today we're going to be talking about the church in Thyatira. And this church in Thyatira, here's what we know. Thyatira was a really small town that we don't know a lot about. But the letter, interestingly enough, is the longest letter of the seven. But Thyatira itself, here's what we do know. That it was a small town that was strategically located on an industrial trade route in the Roman Empire. And it was a very blue-collar type city where most of the people there were involved in some sort of trades. Maybe they were leather workers or clothing manufacturers or potters or woodworkers, but they were, it, it was kind of, to me, it, it, I think of Pittsburgh with the steel industry or 
Detroit with the auto industry. There were the, it was these unions, these strong unions that, that people were part of doing their trades. And so what, what happened was these, 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 it was, it was a pagan society until Christianity came in and, and people converted to Christianity and found Jesus and new life in Christ. And, and yet there was this, um, this tension between their new life now and adapting to the culture that they were living in. And so these churches were formed, and one of the churches was Thyatira that began, and, uh, and, and the compromise started to begin, not with everybody in the church, but with some. And so we're going to look at Revelation chapter 2 today. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at verses 18 through 29. And then what we're going to do is we're gonna, I'm going to give you two points that they struggled with, that, that caused them to compromise, and then at the end of the message, I want, to, I want to take this very practical. I'm going to just give you three things that we all can do to avoid going down the slippery slope of compromise. So in Revelation chapter 2, here's what, here's what Jesus has to say, beginning in verse 18. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering. And those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from their, her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. And I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed these, this false teaching, deeper, deeper truths as they call them, depths of Satan actually. I will ask nothing nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my father and I also will give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. It's a long letter, and it's maybe a little confusing. I'm hoping we'll, we'll be able to walk through this together and, and make kind of some sense of what's going on here. But again, we're, we're going to look at two of the things that led to their compromise. And what's interesting is even though this, you know, this is a, a letter that was you know, a couple thousand years old that was, that was written, that Jesus was talking about, there are some eerie similarities to what's going on across the nation and across the world when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ. And, and, and I think we need to take note of this. And so let's talk about what led to their compromise and see if we can't learn something from it. And here's one of the things that I see when I look at this church, and that is this, that culture shaped the church instead of the church shaping the culture. Culture had shaped the church rather than church shaping the culture. I mean, that's true today, right? You see this very often, that the culture has seeped into the church. Now, getting back to this situation that they were in, 
is that these people in Thyatira, because they were involved in these trades, it was very important to be part of these unions because if you weren't part of a union, you, you couldn't do business. And what was happening is these new believers, these, these people who had converted to Christianity, were still involved in these, this work that they'd always done. But what was going on is that many of the times that these union trade, their, their meetings, they didn't meet at the union hall. What they would do is go to the pagan temples where these new believers had formerly worshipped. And so they held their meetings in these, these pagan temples. And apparently what would go on is that um, during the meetings, before they started the meetings, they would have some pagan rituals where they would worship these false gods and then they would make a sacrifice of some sort of animal and then they would eat the meat of that sacrifice uh, and then they would, uh, apparently they were involved in sexual immorality there and, and all kinds of crazy stuff was going on. And so the, the tension, and this was always a part, all right, think about this with culture in the church, there was a tension. This tension was between these new believers and their former way of life and, and the, the, what they're involved in here in these meetings. And they felt that pressure, that awkward pressure. You know, if you're a believer, you walk into situations, you're going, I, I just don't fit anymore into this situation. Like this is no longer the way that I live my life. I don't, I don't want to participate in this. But the tension was that if they didn't participate, they were blacklisted and they couldn't do business. And so they were, they, were, they were in this precarious position of what do I do? Do I kind of go with the flow or as they say, when in Rome, do as the Romans do? Or do I stand firm in my faith and just say, you know what? I'll just let the chips fall where they may. I'm not going to participate. But unfortunately, many of them just were like giving into that. And, and pretty soon the church, those who were called to follow Jesus were just kind of adapting to the culture rather than them changing the culture. And again, this is a struggle for Many of us, we, we know what this feels like, but in Revelation 2, 19, let's walk back through this. Jesus says this, I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. So he's, this is like the report card. He's like, you guys did really good in some areas. You, you, you're a loving congregation. You serve. You're patient. You, you got a lot going. You're making improvement in these things. But here's the problem. In the first letter that Pastor Kevin talked about was the letter to the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was just the opposite of the church in Thyatira that we're talking about today. The church in Ephesus was, was really strong in doctrine. They were able to weed out these false teachers who were trying to get into their congregations and they knew doctrine and they knew what they believed and they were able to weed them out. But the problem they had, they had good doctrine, but they didn't love. They didn't love each other. They didn't love God the way they needed to. And so they were, they were that kind of church. You, you've probably been around Christians like that who, who know the Bible, but they're not very loving. This is how Ephesus was. But Thyatira, the church we're talking about today, was the opposite. They were super loving. They were serving they were doing things in the community, but they didn't know what they believed. They weren't strong in their beliefs. They did not hold tightly to doctrine. And therefore, all of this false teaching was coming in, and they weren't doing anything about it. They didn't even know. Jesus said, that's, that's, that, you've got some good things going, but there's also some bad things going. Revelation 2, 20, it, it continues in verse 20 and 21. But I have this complaint against you. You did good in that, but, but, but now we're going to get down to a report card where you need some improvement. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet to lead my servants astray. She teaches them, here's her teaching, 
to commit sexual sin and eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent. Don't you glad that God gives us time to repent? But she does not want to turn away from her immorality. So this is where it gets a little confusing. What's he talking about here? This woman, Jezebel. Well, okay, so Jesus refers to this prophet as Jezebel. Now, Jezebel, if you don't know who she was, she was a, in the Old Testament, there was a wicked king of Israel named Ahab. His wife was named Jezebel. She was super wicked. Like she is the epitome of, of evil. And most likely this is what Jesus is referring to, not an actual woman, Jezebel, but the symbolic of evil. And the fact that she's a woman isn't probably the issue, it's what she was teaching. Because we see other prophets, prophetess is in, in the scripture. We see in the Old Testament, Miriam and Deborah. Uh, we, we see um, in the New Testament, Anna, and we see Philip the evangelist's daughters. And so it probably wasn't the issue that, they, that she was female, it was the issue that what she was teaching. She was, she was wicked. She was, she was, her teaching involved not only some of the Bible, but also it brought in the pagan culture of, of sexual immorality and all that. And it's just being brought into the church. And this is where the issue is, is that when we don't do it, what the church needs to do, and the church has really been called to invade and impact the culture, unfortunately, sometimes it's just the opposite. Culture invades and impacts the church. But anyways, in this tension, again, that we feel between how we're supposed to operate in this world we live in and yet hold firm to our faith without compromise. And Jesus addressed this in a prayer that he prayed for all of us in John chapter 17. And I want you to notice that there, is, there are literally two different responses. There's, there's three. There's the right one, and then there's either end of the pendulum that we're going to talk about. But here's what Jesus said we needed to do. Here's the prayer. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. He's speaking about us. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice to them so they can be made holy by your truth. Jesus said, I'm not calling them out of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. I'm calling them back into the world. But I'm, 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 I'm equipping them with the Holy Spirit and with truth. We need to know truth. Truth is how we are able to overcome this false teaching, and the, which leads to compromise. And Jesus said, this is what I'm praying. So, so we're to be impacting the culture. But a lot of Christians, here's the two the, the two ends of the pendulum. The, the right way is that we, that we um, look at the culture we live in and we try to impact them, just like Jesus prayed. But unfortunately, many Christians are like chameleons. You know what a chameleon, like if you take a green chameleon and put him on a brown leaf, what happens? He turns brown. The leaf does not turn green, right? He's green, the leaf's brown. But when he gets on the leaf, he doesn't turn the leaf green. He turns brown. He's He's not making a difference. And this is how many Christians live their life. We get into the culture and we just blend in so good that we don't, we're not making any impact. We're just part of it. We, nobody would know us 
from, from anybody else. We're just, we just go with the flow. That's not the way we're supposed to live. Let me show you how the Apostle Paul did it. Because this is, this is exactly how we should do it. The Apostle Paul recognized that he was, you know, he was, as long as he was alive, he needed to impact the culture that he lived in. Here's what he said. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yet, yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. He lived with a purpose. He recognized that I am in this world, but I'm not of this world. But what I will do is everywhere I go, I will, I will have a focus, a strategy of leading people to Christ. I'm going to impact the people that I'm around. I'm not going to let them impact me. And he, he said, when I'm with the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I could win them to Christ. When I was with the Gentiles, I became as a Gentile. I, didn't, I, didn't, I still live for Christ, but I, but I positioned myself so I could lead them to Christ. When I was with the weak, I did the same. He lived his life with purpose. This is how we're supposed to live. Now, again, there's two, two sides of the spectrum. The middle is where we need to be. In the world, not of the world. But a lot of times, you, you, have, the, you have some Christians who shift way over here and they say, well, I'll just become part of it, right? I'm just going to, I'll just go with like everybody else. And then you have the other Christians who are on this other side of the things. And it's like, I, I'm gonna, I don't want to be contaminated by this world. And I'm going to pull away from everybody and everything. And in my little holy huddle, a little safe place. And I'm not going to interact with this evil world. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to impact the world. The, the monks in the third century, that's what the monks did. These guys that said, I don't want to be contaminated by this world, this culture, and I'm going to, I'm going to, so they would go out in the wilderness, find caves, live in caves, light candles, sing kumbaya, that's what they did. But don't you know that at at our core, there's there's sin, it does, it's it's not that people are making us sin, at our core, we're we're sinful people, we need the Holy Spirit, right? But they they thought, I'll just, I'll just go out there in the wilderness somewhere, and it'll be all good, I won't have to be affected by this world we live in. Reminds me of the of the story of the guy who wanted to be a monk. He, he was frustrated. He said, I want to be a monk. He found a monastery out in the wilderness somewhere. He went through the interview process. They said, you're going to be in. But we do have one rule. At this monastery, we, we take a vow of silence. You can't speak at all. The only exception is every five years, you can speak two words. That's it. So he said, all right, I'll sign up. Five years, he doesn't speak. At the end of the five years, they bring him in. They said, what do you got to say for yourself? He said, food, bad. <laughs> five years goes by. Doesn't say anything. They bring him back in after another five years. Two words. What do you got to say for yourself? He said, bed, hard. Five more years goes by. What do you got to say for yourself? I quit. <laughs> the head monk says, well, it's no wonder. All you've done is complain since you got here. So, so culture shaped the church instead of church shaped the culture. Let me give you the second problem they had, and that is this. They were susceptible to false teaching because they lacked depth. They were easy targets. 
because they didn't know what they believed. So when this woman, this Jezebel that he refers to comes in and says, hey, you can believe the Bible, but let me give you some deeper truths, as what they called them, that we're not only going to do this, but let me give you something else. We're going to bring sexual immorality in the church because that is a great way to worship God. We're going to have these false idols in our church. It's a great way to worship God. And these people were so gullible because they didn't know what they believed. They lacked depth. Revelation 2, 24. Here's what Jesus, in 25. Jesus says this, but I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching. So he's got, some didn't fall for it, but then watch what he says about this. Deeper truths, as they call them, the depths of Satan, actually. For the ones that were falling for it, they go, well, these are deeper truths. And Jesus said, no, that's, it's really, those are the depths of Satan. But here's what he says to the ones who don't fall. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. Throughout the Bible, and particularly in the New Testament, we are warned over and over and over again that, 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 that there will be those wolves in sheep's clothing, those people who come in to churches and they, they preach a different gospel, they, they twist truth, they, and it's not accidental. This is very intentional. They're sent by Satan and because many people don't recognize it, they don't have any depth, they fall for it. And the warnings are over and over again. So, so I just want to, no commentary. I'm just going to read some of these warnings from different places in the Bible. In 2 Timothy, the apostle Paul tells Timothy, a pastor of one of the churches, he says it's for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 15, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. In 2 Peter, Peter says, but there, will be, there are also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and, shame, and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In Romans chapter 16, the apostle Paul says, and now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters, watch out. For people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you've been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They're serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. In Galatians chapter 1, the apostle Paul said, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse, as we have already said. So now I say again, if... if Anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accept it, let them be under God's curse. The writer of Hebrews says this, you have been believers so long now you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Over and over and over again. What we see is that we suffer from a, a, a lack of biblical knowledge. We're, we're biblically illiterate as a nation. I saw some research here done by LifeWay Research that shows just how bad it's, it's become. A third of Americans never read their Bible on their own. A third of Americans. Never, never, never. 47% of the people surveyed said the, the Bible is, uh, um, only 47% said the Bible is 100% accurate. 51% said the Bible is written for each person to interpret as he or she chooses. 
77% of people say they must contribute to their own, their own effort for their salvation. 52% say good deeds help them earn a spot in heaven. 45% believe, believe that there are many ways to get to heaven. There is just so much wrong with this. We need to know what we believe, and it, it goes on, but I, that's all, I mean, we get the idea that we have to do something about it. Jesus told us we need to, we need to that he is truth, that we need to lean into truth, and Jesus, when he himself was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, does anybody remember what he did? Nobody? He quoted, we need to get, we need to know. He quoted scripture. That's how he defeated the attack of the enemy. And we need to do it as well. So, they, culture had shaped the church, and they were susceptible to, to this false teaching, which led to their compromise because they didn't have any depth. But now, let me just shift a little bit. I want to make this practical. I said I want to give you some things you can take home with you. So what do we do? How do we practically put into practice what Pastor Kevin said last week and what we just talked about today of these churches who suffered from compromise? What do we do so we don't fall down that, go down that slippery slope of compromise? Let me give you three things. Number one, beware of small concessions. Small concessions. It's that those little, we get a little sloppy. We, 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 Take a shortcut here, a shortcut there, a concession here, a concession there. And the next thing we know, we're way off course. Nobody wakes up. I don't think anybody's in the history of the world has ever woke up one morning, had a good life, everything going good, serving God, loving God, have a good family. Wake up one morning and go, you know what? I think I'm going to throw it all away today. I think I'm going to turn my back on God today. I think I'm going to destroy my family, ruin my marriage, ruin my reputation. I think I'm going to do that today. Seems like a good day for that. Never, never happened. You know how it happens? A little here, a little there, a little there. Nobody starts, goes from a I'm, on, I'm, a, I'm a 10 out of 10 serving God, loving God, on fire for God, to a 2. It doesn't happen overnight. You go from a 10 to a 9 to an 8 to a 6 to a 2. It just, that's how it works. That's, that's the slippery slope of compromise. It's the small concessions. It's, it, it, it's taking a shortcut here. Or there. They always, you know, the thought always was when the Titanic sank, they thought, man, when it hit that iceberg, put a big hole in the hole. But what they found is when they, when they found the Titanic, that's not what they found at all. That's not what sunk the Titanic. You know what sunk the Titanic? It were six small slits in the hull of the Titanic, which sunk it and killed 1,500 people. That's how it normally works. We have, to be, we have to be looking around, vigilant all the time, and catching it early. I mean early. In the words of the great theologian Barney Fife, we need to nip it in the bud. We need to nip it in the bud, right? <laughs> you got to get it early because if you don't, the next thing you know is you're going to be in a place you didn't think you were started off. I, I, I can't tell you how many people I've sat down across the table with who said, I just need to talk to you, pastor. I, my, my marriage is it's, it's hanging on by a thread, or my wife left me, or my husband left. And, 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 and what happened, some problems that, that didn't, I mean, they didn't start that day. They started way back when, but nobody did anything about it. That's how it works. That's how it works. So beware of small concessions. Number two, don't let your guard down. Don't let your guard down. All the time, you've you're, you got to pay attention. Do you understand we're in a spiritual, there's a spiritual dimension to all of this that we don't see. There's, there, we have an, an enemy 
that Jesus talks about a lot. His name is Satan and his evil forces. And their mission is to kill, steal, and destroy. He told us their mission. And And we also know that our enemy is cunning. He's tactful. He's tactical. That's probably a better word. He's tactical. He's strategic. He's, he's an opportunist. That's how he operates. The Bible compares Satan. It says, it says, be careful that Satan is like a roaring lion roaming about seeking someone to devour. Compares him to a lion who is looking for a meal. Never watch those National Geographic shows? You've got the water hole in Africa. And you've got some tall weeds over here. And, and, and you've got a, a lion that's crouching down in the weeds and the gazelle come over here, right? Or the wilderness, whatever they are. They just, they just come in and they get some water. And they're, they know this is potential danger, but they look around. They don't, they're not real. I mean, they don't look that good because they're thirsty. And eventually they get to the water hole. They put their head down. And you know that lion, what's, you watch them how they do it, right? They kind of like one step. I'm a terrible lion, but you know what I'm doing, right? Right? <laughs> Like, I'm not, okay, for Halloween, I will not be a lion, I promise you. But you know what I did? They crouch a little bit in a little step. You don't, I mean, they're so, that's what Satan does. And when that, when that gazelle is not paying attention, boom, he's, he's lunch for that lion. L- listen, if, if our, all of our phone, cell phones went off right now with an amber alert that says, there is a lion loose on Bountyland Road, last seen in the parking lot of Foothills Church. You would treat it a little different, right? Or Pendleton, Pendleton High School. There's a lion loose at Pendleton. You know what we do? First of all, you wouldn't leave. This would be the longest church service in our history, right? We would never go. Jesus, I keep preaching. Let's go. But when we left, we would not leave like we normally do. Like, hey, what's going on? Yeah, what's you see you guys. It would be like this. Under the car, looking around a car, send your kids out first, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, go check. Like, we're looking, tiptoeing around, coast is clear. We run to the car, hit our door lock thing, you know, we're, we're just, because we're not, we know there's potential danger out here, so I'm going to treat my life a little different. This is what the Bible says that Satan is doing. And yet most of us are just like, hey, whatever, hey, I don't and we wonder why our, our lives get shipwrecked, because we're not paying attention. We just, well, okay, whatever, compromise, 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 that, that's, where, that's where it leads. Let me give you the last thing, and that is this, practice daily disciplines. Daily, there is no, there is no silver bullet. Nobody's going to wave a magic wand, and all of a sudden, we don't, you know, we don't struggle with this anymore, that we're, all, we're spiritually strong. It is the daily disciplines. It's, it's, it, there, there is no shortcut. It's, it's like when you, if you're trying to get in shape, there is, everybody wants to try to sell you on something. You could take a pill, and you can lose 50 pounds tonight, but we know that's not going to work. It's, I got I to gotta watch my calories this meal, and the next meal, and the next meal, and the next meal. It's the daily disciplines. For anything that you want to do, by the way, in life that's going to give you value, it's, it's, it's the daily discipline. In football, 
here's what they say. The game is won in the trenches. That's on the offense and defensive line. That's where, that's, where the, that's where the game's won or lost, right there. There is no, it is not fancy. It's not sexy. It's not glamorous. It's just like every play, do your assignment. You block him. You block him. And if you do your job, play after play after play after play, we're probably going to win the game. But if you start taking plays off, if you don't do your assignment, you're not going to win. It's, 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 it's just getting down there and doing the grunt work. You've got to embrace doing that. Because if you don't, you can, it's, it's, it's never going to work. So we have to, we have to just kind of practice these daily disciplines. What are the daily disciplines? Well, reading your Bible. Because it just told us that the reason that they were falling for this is they lacked spiritual depth. They didn't know what they believed, so we need to know what we believe. Regularly attending church, so you can be around a community of other believers, that you can be worshiping together, doing those things. Daily prayer time, sharing your faith with other people, serving other people. It's just the it's just a grunt, it's just a grunt work of every single day. Don't take a playoff. That's what you do. And if we do that, we can, we, can, we can have a whole lot more victories than we do failures. And we were never all going to get it right every time. We know that. We recognize that. But here's the last part. Remember what Jesus said. And this is the hope that we all have. No matter what we've done in the past, no matter how many times we've messed up, Jesus talked about this, this idea of repentance. Even gave this Jezebel a chance to repent. Like he said, she's teaching my people this crazy stuff, but I've given her a chance to repent. Now, she didn't repent, so she's going to suffer the consequences, but I even gave her a chance to repent. Look, that's the beauty of our God, that no matter how much you've blown it up to this point, you can start over today. Like we have that opportunity today. Every, every opportunity, every day is a new opportunity. So where are you at today? What areas maybe has God been working in your heart about that maybe you're taking some shortcuts or little small concessions that you think it's, you're going to get away with forever? Let me tell you something. It is just going to snowball. And eventually, it's going to lead to some sort of issue that you're going to say, man, I should have caught, I should have caught this early. What is it? Maybe for you, it's, it's like, hey, I've, I have allowed myself to be wrapped up in culture way too much. I'm not impacting the culture. I've been impacted by the culture. I look at my life, I'm just like culture. I'm not out there like the Apostle Paul, you know, making relationships with this person or that person to win them to Christ. There's a lot here. Look, when Jesus addresses this church, I really believe, I know it's a church in Thyatira, but I think this could be written to any church in America. We need to take this stuff serious. So let's pray together. We'll let God do his work in our hearts. Father, thank you, God, that you are a God of compassion but you're also a God that's really serious about some stuff when it comes to your church and protecting your church. And so God, I pray that we, as a church, that we would take a stand, that we would do what we need to do in order to impact the culture we live in, that we would also uh, get in your word and know what we believe so that we could have spiritual depth enough to know when there's false teaching. God, I pray for those who've maybe struggled with compromise in their lives. 
And I pray that you would show them what direction they need to take because you're a good God. Lord, I pray for those who don't know Jesus today. I pray that today that you're knocking on their hearts and they recognize, you know what, I I need a Savior. I've tried to live my life alone too long and I need a Savior. So I'm placing my faith in Jesus today. I'm praying, God, that you touch hearts in Seneca and Pendleton and those who watch online. I pray that, God, you, through your Holy Spirit, is speaking. And if you're here today or you're watching or you're in Pendleton and, and you're just saying, I need Jesus, maybe just offer a prayer like this. Jesus, today I give you my life. I recognize that I'm a sinful person and I need Jesus. I need salvation and I repent of my sin and I turn to you. And I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. I believe that you sacrificed your life for me and I give my life back to you, God. God, thank you for all that you're doing, all that you will do. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the people who are holding strong to your truth and for those who are not giving in to compromise and are impacting the culture, God, give us more opportunities. We love you in the name of Jesus.